It is good to be back with you guys today. If you don't know where we were last time we met, we've been going through a series in Proverbs titled Wisdom for Idiots. Now, this, uh, this title is meant to be a play on words, a play off of the books you've seen in the bookstores. You guys have seen the bookstores that say The Complete Idiot's Guide to Football, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Computers, right? And there's also a version called, you know, Computers for Dummies, Football for Dummies, and so on. So um, just for fun, I decided to um, look up some of the, uh, the more humorous ones that uh, are out there. And I think some of these might be fake or not real, I'm not sure, but um, you'll probably discern which ones I'm talking about in just a moment. But the, the first one, go to the next slide. I found one uh, for the TV show 24. Anybody ever watch that show, ever? Um, that show is like, what, like five, six years ago, right? Is that the time frame we're talking about? Even maybe 10 years ago? Uh, so, so raise your hand if you watch this show ever in your life, at least just once, just once. All five of you, that's great, that's great. All right, uh, go to the next one. Uh, I love this one. I think this might be a fake one, though. I'm not sure. Just the font's a little bit off. So, um, but yeah, but yeah, talking to women, that would definitely be something that guys need to read or some guys need to read. Uh, go to the next one. Yeah, uh, zombies. So if you're into zombies, um, I'm not sure if those are real or if those are fake, but either way, that's weird. That's weird. Next one, Facebook. There's one for Facebook. So your parents. Okay, is anyone's, is anyone's grandmother in the room on Facebook? Your grandmother's on Facebook. You can buy this for her for her birthday, right? I mean, she might be offended by the idiot reference, but I'm just saying. All right, go to the next one. What's the next one? Elves and fairies. So just in case you're wondering about elves and fairies, there's an idiot's guide for that. Has anyone have any interest in elves and fairies in the room? Yes. That's strange. That's strange. Okay, next slide. I thought this one was hilarious. Getting an... Okay, let's just break this down. There is a book that someone wrote about how to get, how to obtain, and how to own a cat. You have to read a book on how to get a cat and how to own a cat. That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. All right. This one is definitely fake. Definitely fake. Look at the font. Look at the picture on the bottom. That's definitely not a real one, I don't think. Um, okay, the next one, I like this one, the idiot's guide to adult ADHD, because here's the funny thing about this one, this is so ironic because if you have ADHD, you're not going to read a book, right? (laughs) And I love the picture, the picture's great, it's like, would you like this way, that way, this way, all right, next one. This is the, the one that I thought was also funny because there, there's so much irony in this one, too. Okay, robot building for dummies. Like, if you're a dummy, you're not going to be build, building the robots, right? That's just not going to happen. Um, 
I got that one for you, Jennings. Where's Jennings? I got that one for you, man. That one's for you. All right, uh, this next one is great. This one I have in my office, and I just want you to know that um, if, if you don't like anything I do, blame it on that book, all right? Uh, so there you go. There, there you go. There you have it. Um, so there's lots of books out there like this, but the great thing about those books, the great thing about these books is that they require a certain level of humility to read these books because you have to admit, you have to say to yourself, okay, I don't know something. I'm going to go out there and seek out knowledge, seek out wisdom on how to do something. And this is exactly what Proverbs is for us. This book was written to young people like us. And everyone knows that when you're young, especially um, at your age, no offense, but for the most part, we do idiotic things, right? And we need great, great wisdom. Now, I want to do a quick review. Uh, chapter 1 in Proverbs, what was the main theme? Well, it's going to be on the screen, right? So, fear God. The suspense is killing you, I know. Uh, so, somebody read just quickly. Just get your Bible out. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And someone just stand up and read it out loud, if you will. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Somebody with a really good, booming voice. All right, Jacob. One seven. Listen up. Shh. Okay, so the fear of the Lord. Yes, give him a hand. I'm so glad you can read. So the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, here's why, listen up. Here's why that part is so important. I love the fact that that verse is one of the first ones in the book. Because it is very easy to look at Proverbs and think of it as just advice, right? If you forget that one key verse, that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. If you forget that one verse, then the rest of the book just becomes advice, right? The rest of the book just becomes about relationships, about how to deal with anger, It just becomes sort of a manual on how to do life. But if you forget that the fear of the Lord has to be foundational to what follows, then that's when you really get the book of Proverbs. So the fear of God is essential and should be the core of this entire book. The next part we looked at, chapter 2, was about how to get wisdom from God. We talked about how in our culture today, We live very shallow, superficial lives as Christians, correct? We don't seek after wisdom. We seek after everything except wisdom. So the idea was to you have to go get wisdom from God, right? Guys at the back, please calm down. Thank you. You've got to go after wisdom. You've got to pursue wisdom, okay? Chapter 3 was about trusting God, trusting God. And we're going to continue uh, chapter 3 today as well. So look at chapter 3, verses 21 to 35. Go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. Chapter 3, verses 21. And here's what uh, Solomon writes. He says, My child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them. They will refresh your soul. They are like jewels on a necklace. So when he says common sense, I actually don't like that translation. I'm actually using the New Living Translation for this series because it kind of makes it more common day language. But in my Bible, the big thick one that I could like hurt somebody with 
uh, it's, it says wisdom, it says sound wisdom. And so I know we don't always think of like common sense and sound wisdom in the same, in the same, with the same thinking, but they are very similar, okay? There are certain things that you and I might do that are just, that totally go against common sense, right? I'm sure you can think of situations in your life, looking back on your, on your life, you can think of certain situations where you made just a really, really dumb error, right? And someone said to you, don't you understand, this is just common sense, right? And the problem with us most of the time is that common sense often isn't very common, correct? And so this is the idea he's going for. Don't lose sight of common sense or discernment. What is discernment? Discernment is, discernment is having good judgment about people and situations. It means to look at certain people and say, yeah, that, that guy, he's a bad dude. That girl, she's not the kind of girl I want to be around. It's to look at certain situations to say, yeah, that situation, that thing happening at their house on Friday, or that situation is not something I should be a part of. It's to have discernment. It's to have discernment. And so look at what this leads to. He says this leads to refreshment. It leads to life for your soul. I think many in the room right now, you don't see Christianity as leading to life. You see it as robbing you of life. You see a relationship with Jesus as stealing joy, stealing life, stealing your fun, and that's all you see it as. You don't see following Christ, fearing God, submitting to God, surrendering to God. You don't see those things as refreshing to your life, refreshing your soul. And this passage promises us, shows us, when you, when you fear the Lord, when you live in wisdom, when you walk in wisdom, it leads to refreshment. It leads to life, real life. He also goes on to say that wisdom is like jewelry. It's like jewels on a necklace. Now, I know in the room, girls still wear jewelry. You still wear earrings. You still wear necklaces. But the difference, though, is that not all of you, but most of you, you know, don't wear, like, diamonds, at least not that we know of, all right? Anybody here have a real diamond on? Just want to see if there's anybody that has a real diamond. All right, well, okay, someone mug her after the service, please. Um, you'll be a rich man afterwards. Uh, but, but most of us today, unless you're like my wife who's got a diamond ring for engagement, unless you're like her, most people don't wear expensive jewelry just around, right? But back then, it was more of a big deal. So if you're a king or a queen, you might wear jewelry, and he's saying that, that wisdom is like jewels on a necklace. I think it says two things about wisdom. It says, first of all, obviously, that it's valuable, that it's of value for us. And then secondly, it must stay with you at all times, okay? When you wear like a cross or a pendant as a reminder for something on your neck, it's a reminder that this, this thing should stay with you at all times, right? Okay? So that's what he's trying to communicate here when he says that it should be like Jewelry on a necklace. Now, uh, a quick story. When I was, uh, I'd say about five, six years ago, my wife and I had just moved to Temple, and um, my wife's diamond, and get, the one that I worked blood, sweat, and tears for, got stolen. And what happened was, my wife and I, we had called an electrician to come to our house to fix a ceiling fan in the master bedroom, and so they show up at the house, and one guy who's the owner of the company, he's at the front of the house working on some things at the front of the house. And then his little sidekick is at the back of the house working on the ceiling fan, right? And so I'm thinking, you know, hey, you know, I'm just having lunch in the, in the, in the kitchen. And 
and my wife goes to the gym to work out. What I forgot, though, was that she takes her rings off before she goes to the gym to work out and puts them in a jewelry box, which is in the master bedroom, okay? And so I'm at the front of the house having a sandwich. These guys finish their work, and then uh, they leave, and then I leave. My wife comes home from the gym, and then she calls me in a panic, and she says, Dave, my diamond ring is gone. It's missing. And, of course, I go into panic mode. And I'm thinking, well, maybe you lost. She's like, no, I did not lose. I took it off before I went to the gym, put it in the jewelry box, and I went to the gym. Now it's gone. Okay? And so it is right next to her, her wedding ring, next to on the day of the wedding, that ring. And that ring's still there, but the diamond itself is gone. Okay? And so we decide to call the cops, and the cops show up to the house and the other guys are already gone, and they said, well, here's what we can do. I said, look, I don't really want to press charges. I just want to get the ring back. So we set up this crazy, like, sting operation, all right? This was, like, intense. Um, the plan was I called the guy who was, like, the head guy in charge that day, and I said, look, man, I think the guy that you hired may have stolen my wife's ring. Now, I don't want to press charges. I just want the ring back. And so he said, man, he goes, I'm sorry, man, but he may have, like, he just got out of a halfway house. And I'm like, well, thanks for letting him into my house, right? And so, so long story short, um, a few hours later, we got the guys to come back to the house, and the owner of the company who was there with them, he decided, okay, I'm going to pretend like I don't know anything. And so we, we, we said, hey, come back to the house under the idea that there's still some work that wasn't done right. And so they show up back to the house, and when they get back to the house, the cops are there, okay, waiting for them. And so the cops searched their whole vehicle. They searched everywhere for this thing, and they never found it, never found it. And so I'm sitting there looking at this guy, knowing he took my wife's ring, and I can't do anything about it, right? Needless to say, thank God for insurance, all right, because insurance got her a new ring. But here's what I want you to get from this. We searched, the moment we knew this thing was missing, we searched high and low, for this ring. It wasn't just worth money. It was worth sentiment. It was the, the one ring I worked so hard for to pay for, to give to her when we got engaged. We searched after it. And the thing is, there are so many things that we search for that are not wisdom, that are less than wisdom. There are so many things that we search for in our lives that we value beyond something like wisdom. And the question is, do we seek wisdom with the same fervor that we seek those kinds of things? Do we seek wisdom in the same way that we seek something like that, that's just material? The things that we value the most rarely change our lives. The things that you and I value the most rarely do anything for us eternally or spiritually. But it's those things that we're consumed with. We're consumed with those things. Look at verse 23. It says, they keep you safe on your way, meaning wisdom, and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. You need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked. For the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. Travel is dangerous. Anyone agree? Travel is dangerous. He is talking in this, in this picture here of someone being on a journey. Now, you might think back in that day, travel was safe, and now it's more dangerous because of cars, but this is not the case. 
In that day, traveling on foot was still very, very dangerous. Some of the places they had to go on foot, they could fall off the side of a cliff. They could get stuck in a rock. They could get robbed by thieves. Today, our, our dangers are different. Like this past uh, Christmas break, my wife and my family and I, we decided to uh, see my brother in Atlanta, Georgia, and we drove all the way to Atlanta and back, 880 miles each way with two small kids. It was fun. Believe me. And so as I'm driving down the highway, though, I drove most of the time. There are just things that it's amazing to me that more people don't die on the highway after driving almost 2,000 miles over the break. I mean, there are semi-trucks on the left, on the right-hand side. There's having to dodge, like, shredded tires the entire trip, just laying on the, on the road. I'm dodging, like, whole, sorry, ladies, whole dogs. I mean, just on the road, right? It's sad, like, just roadkill everywhere. I'm just dodging all these obstacles, okay? It's like a video game, right? And I'm thinking to myself, if I lose concentration or focus for one moment, it could be a disaster. In that entire journey, lose focus for one second, it could be a disaster. In a sense, this is the picture I think he's trying to create for us from this passage. That if you lose focus for one moment, or you don't cling to wisdom, or you don't walk in wisdom, it could be disastrous for your life. Now, there's grace, there's forgiveness. I'm not saying there's not grace and forgiveness, but what I am saying is when we don't cling to wisdom, we don't walk in wisdom in the way that this passage is talking about, it can be disastrous. One thing, bam, and disaster takes place. And so what I want you to get from this is that walking in wisdom adds a protective quality to our lives. He also says that uh, he mentions sleep. He says, um, he says, you can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. This is a real simple question. Have you ever been in a part of your life where you couldn't sleep and it was a result of your sin? Or it was a result of you walking, not walking in wisdom? I'm not talking about like you had a burrito for dinner and you couldn't sleep. I'm not talking about that kind of not sleep, but ever had a time where your own sin caused you, you not walking in wisdom caused you to not sleep well? Is it possible that your sleep patterns, that your lack of sleep is a result of the lack of walking in wisdom or a lack of trust in God? Is it possible? Do you ever get that knot in your stomach as you lay down to sleep, just worry, fear, not trusting God? Are you walking in wisdom? Are you walking in wisdom? So I want, I want you to look at your uh, first four questions this morning, and uh, go ahead and discuss your questions one through four, and then we'll jump right back in just a moment. So go ahead and discuss. Okay, for the sake of time, let's move on to the next section. 
And I know we're just kind of running late today. I'm sorry about that. But you can blame the buffet line over there, the ones that were uh, taking their time getting the food, right? Um, so look at verse 27. And these next few verses, I'm going to sprint through the next section here. So this will be like taking a drink from a fire hydrant, just to warn you. All right. So verse 27. Um, these next few verses talk about something that I think is really, really important to this group. And it's about community. It's about relationships. And let me just say, as the youth pastor of this group for a number of years now, um, there is nothing that will kill and hurt a youth group like fractured relationships, like fractured community. And so to tie this into the first part of this chapter, walking in wisdom, when you don't walk in wisdom, it leads to a violation of community. When you don't walk in wisdom, it leads to fractured relationships and fractured community. And so he lays out for us four different ways that you can preserve community, ways that you can walk in wisdom, four distinct ways in these, in these following verses. And let's look at verse 27. It says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, Come back tomorrow, and I'll help you then. Now, what he's talking about here back then is wages, like an employer would pay someone their wage like the day they did the job, right? And so you might think, well, okay, how does that relate to me? Here's how it relates. As an employer with, withholds something that's good from someone else, there are ways that you and I withhold good things from the people in this room all the time. And there's a number of ways this happens to us. What are the ways that, that you personally withhold good from someone? Because, see, here's the deal. Sin is not just doing something bad. Sin is not just doing the bad thing. Sin is often neglecting to do the good thing. It's called a sin of omission. It's, it's to not do the good thing. That's also sin, and that fractures community. So if you're someone that has the gift of encouragement or the gift of giving, and you withhold that from the body of believers, you are, in a sense, sinning. You are neglecting to do the good thing. And so there are ways that we withhold good things from people in this community, and that eventually can lead to the community fracturing and falling apart. And in verse uh, 29, he says, Don't plot harm against your neighbor, for those who live nearby trust you. I would say it's probably true for most of us that, for the most part, the people that live around your house trust you. I mean, I don't know, some of y'all, maybe not, I don't know. But for the most part, your neighbors probably trust you to, to a certain extent. I think about my neighbors, and when I go out of town for a long vacation, I'll go across the street and I'll talk to my friend Jerry, and I'll say, hey, look, I'm going out of town, and uh, just kind of keep an eye on the house. If you see some, something crazy going on, you'll know that we're away and it, that, that crazy thing should not be happening at my house, whatever that thing is, right? If there's some guy, like, carrying a TV out the front window, I'm just saying, like, that probably shouldn't be happening, okay? So, so I let him know what's, what we're about to do. And so what if I came home from a trip, though, to discover that uh, my TV's missing, the wind is broken, and I go across the street and say, Jerry, did you see anybody take my TV? And he's like, uh, no. And I look in his living room, and it's like inside his living room, 
right? Well, he's watching the game inside his house. I mean, first of all, that would be not cool, right? But if, if here's the deal, though. The people that are closest to you, your neighbors, whether it be physical neighbors or just friends, they are people that you place trust in. But so often, it's the people that you place trust in that can turn around and stab you in the back. It's the people that you place trust in that now have access to you and can turn around and take advantage of you and take that trust and turn it against you. And this is what happens so often in relationships. And so the question is, can you trust the people here? More importantly, are you trustworthy? Are you someone that can be trusted by the people in this room? Because if you are not someone that can be trusted by those in this room, that fractures community. That is not walking in wisdom. Look at verse 30. He says, don't pick a fight without reason when no one has done you harm. Don't pick a fight without reason. Ladies, I want to talk to the ladies for a moment on this one. Uh, I think ladies fall for this one in a big way. I mean, guys, we're going to get to the guys in a minute. Don't worry. The next verse is for them. But for you ladies, let's think about this. How often do you, you yourself or you know people that are just driven by conflict, driven by drama? right? And it's like they don't even know why they're doing it. They're just living drama, living out drama, living out conflict. There's always something going on, right? Just always swirling around them. And, and for them, they're always like, well, it's not, it's not me. It's, it's them, okay? You know, one of the keys, one of the key phrases that I hear, I've heard girls say this before in this room. I've heard them say things like, yeah, I don't really get along with girls, and they'll just say it as if to say, like, I'm just better friends with guys. And I just want to go, does that not strike you as a problem that, you, that no girl likes you? Does that, is that not a problem? You don't see a problem there with that? And so that's red flag number one if that's you, okay? Are you someone that causes conflict, causes drama for no apparent reason? That fractures, that fractures relationship and community. Look at... The next verse, 31, it says, Don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Such wicked people are detestable to the Lord, but he offers his friendship to the godly. This one's for the guys. Now, why would someone envy someone who is violent? When I saw that word envy, I thought that's kind of a weird way of of stating that. I can understand, don't be afraid of someone who's violent. Don't copy someone who's violent. But the word envy, why would someone envy someone else who's violent? And I started thinking about this, and I thought, okay, someone who's violent, they're the bully, right? People fear that person. They often fear them because they have a physical presence. They have a physical intimidation factor. This person has the power, right? So let's be honest. In our culture, what is it that brings immediate respect for guys? What is it? What is it? Strength? Maybe? You guys are being timid in your answers today. You're... All right, but before, before the girls, I'm talking about if he's got some, some physical power, if he's got some physical 
intimidation factor, right? That's going to bring at least some level of immediate respect for the guy, right? And so on the outside, he's got all this bravado, all of this, this macho look to him. But on the inside, a guy like that is terrified. On the inside, a guy like him is as terrified as the next guy, right? And so a lot of guys, here's what happens. A lot of guys seek power. A lot of guys seek power so other people will fear them instead of fearing the one that's God who's truly powerful. A lot, a lot of guys seek power so other people will fear them instead of truly fearing the one who's truly powerful. This is the sin of guys. This is where guys struggle. Look at verse 33. We'll wrap this up. The Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. The Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools are put to shame. You know, when we read this verse, this last section, Another question many might have is, is how can a good God do that? How can a good God judge someone? How can a good God show grace to someone but then show judgment to someone else? Here's how. Our God is holy. Our God is holy. I would say that our God is good and that if he is going to be a good judge, he has to judge rightly. And my question would be, how can a good God not do that? How can a good God not judge rightly and fairly? He must because he is good and holy. And so the whole picture that he's painting in this passage is that we have to walk in wisdom. You don't learn wisdom just one time, then move on from it. You don't just graduate from it. You've got to walk in it. This is a lifelong journey, a lifelong process. So the wisdom he talked about in chapter 2 of you've got to go out there and get wisdom, now he's telling us you've got to walk in wisdom, cling to wisdom. This is a journey that you're on called life. And one mishap, and your life could be disastrous. You've got to walk in wisdom. One last slide, and we'll close it up with some more discussion. Here's what he says, a a big picture idea. I want you to hear from this, that community is a means of spiritual growth, meaning that this is how you grow as being a part of community. And secondly, community is a measure of our spiritual growth. And so if you want to know how you're doing in this walking and wisdom thing, the question is, how are your relationships? How is your community? Is it fractured? Has it dissolved? If that's the case, your walk with God is is not solid right now. Community is the means and the measure of your spiritual growth. Go ahead and discuss your last four questions. And apologize for running late today, but such is the new year. Discuss. Discuss.